there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Hello, you are very welcome to the final Your Politics of this political season. I'm Anya Lawler and joining me from our RTE politics team, David Murphy and Sinead Spain and Tommy Meskell will be joining us uh, presently. And uh, it's very quiet around here, isn't it, at the moment, David? And we had the final cabinet meeting uh, before the, if you like, the official holidays. Uh, So what, what was mainly on the agenda? Well, I think they had actually a fairly busy cabinet agenda. They had 60 or so items. But I think there are a number of interesting ones, pieces of business which were in train, which they've now got over the line. I think the first one is in relation to IVF. Uh, They had made commitments around this that they would fund um, a cycle of IVF for people who've already had one cycle uh, with a private provider. What they've done now is they've added the terms and conditions. In other words, it's for people below the age of 41. There's some other uh, terms and conditions in terms of people's BMI index. But I think the Taoiseach this week was pretty clear that this is a first step in this direction. It's something that goes on in lots of other European countries. And essentially, Ireland is now stepping uh, stepping into mm-hmm. the kind of system that is goes on elsewhere in Europe. Although opposition were pretty critical, weren't they, of the terms and conditions? Yeah, they said it was too tight, that uh, more needs to be done in this area. But I think we'll have to see how it progresses. I think the people in the area certainly welcome the fact that the government have finally got it over the line. And also uh, energy support, some news on that? That's right. Well, okay. there have been a few outings now from various people in government regarding the area of energy support. So we know at a broad level, the wholesale price of energy is beginning to fall quite considerably. However, many of the energy companies have booked a price at which to buy energy in advance. And they did that as prices were rising in order to insulate consumers. But those hedges haven't worked their way through. And so prices still remain relatively elevated. So earlier in the week, we had Michael McGrath indicating there are going to be energy supports. Leo Varadkar went a bit further after the cabinet and said there would certainly be energy supports. But there, the energy credits that pop up in the bills. The thing is, the millionaire, as well as the person on the average industrial wage, get them. So there isn't that kind of equality there. So they're going to do some more targeted steps as well in the budget. But the details we'll have to see in October. It'll be interesting to see. All right. I expect we'll be hearing a lot more about that come the autumn, uh, David. But the big news, I suppose, out of the cabinet uh, was this uh, road versus rail argument because we had the launch of a very ambitious uh, national railway network plan uh, from uh, Minister Eamon Ryan. It was, um, I mean, I haven't looked at it in detail, but it looked as if there were train lines going all over the country. It would be brilliant if it were there. However, when the Taoiseach was talking about this and there have been tensions between Fine Gael and the Greens over the whole road public transport uh, issue, and uh, the Taoiseach kind of pointed out uh, that you would see a doubling, was it, of passenger traffic, even under this plan, uh, from 3 to 6%, and I think freight would go up to 10%. So the Taoiseach was arguing this proves the case for an even bigger investment in roads. Have I got the 
broad picture there? That's it. So we have seen over the past few months, there have been a few, let's say, tensions between uh, the Greens and Fine Gael in relation to the whole topic of roads, particularly one point that some people of Fine Gael have pointed to is that the Greens had underspent in terms of road spending in the earlier part of the year. The Greens, for their part, pointed out that a lot of the spending happens yeah. towards the end of the year and you shouldn't read too much into that. Then we had a story in the Irish Times uh, quoting unnamed Green Party sources being a little bit disgruntled with the Taoiseach, saying, we're Fine Gael watching the news, look at the forest fires, look at the flooding, what do you think's happening to the planet? So the great conciliator in the coalition is certainly Eamon Ryan, and he was in full conciliation mode this afternoon when he was um, asked about this by uh, some of our colleagues. He was at a public transport event in Carlo, and what he had to say basically was, just because you're spending on rail doesn't mean you can't spend on roads. And he said, um, this is not about being anti-road. It's not a binary choice. Not that- a binary choice. It's not about being anti-road or anti-motorist. Uh, we can invest in both and we do need to invest in both. Having said that, there is a question over what exactly are they going to spend the roads budget on? Is it going to be new roads Or perhaps are they going to use a lot of it patching up existing roads? And then there is that central question of, are you building infrastructure which is motorist friendly and doesn't have anything for cyclists? Are you actually going to spend money on building cycling infrastructure? Because look at what's happening on the planet. That's what the Greens would say. Uh, But of course, the big talking point of the week has been the whole crime story after that um, attack on an American tourist. And indeed, there have been a number uh, of other incidents since then. And there's been, we saw the photographs of Justice Minister Helen McEntee and Public Spending Minister Pascal Donoghue, it's his constituency, the North Inner City, uh, walking around together with some Gardaí. But Helen McEntee, She's coming under pressure, isn't she, to deliver on this law and order issue? She is coming under a lot of pressure in this area. And obviously, as the Justice Minister, that's as you would expect. But also because this is a central plank of Fine Gael policy. We're the party of law and order, they keep telling us. Um, And she has been saying the city centre, Dublin city centre, is a safe place to be. Um, She has said there will be more Gardaí. They are actively recruiting more Gardaí. But she's under a lot of pressure to deliver because there is a perception, at the very least, that Dublin city centre has become a dangerous place, particularly parts of the north side, that it's a dangerous place to hang out at night and there is no visibility of Gardaí on the ground. And it's a big problem for communities. It's a big problem for tourists and for visitors to the area. And you know, I think that uh, she maybe just misjudged the public mood on that one. She went to visit Store Street. We had delivery drivers protesting, didn't we, in the pouring rain this week over the attacks on them because they're finding they're going, you know, certain areas and they've put up maps of, you know, areas that are dangerous for those their drivers as they see it. Um, and, you know, they're getting attacked by, you know, these groups of young teenage males and... Uh, it's it's a huge issue, you know, right across the city, isn't it? It is a big issue and it's just interesting where she's at, I suppose. She, you know, she's a minister who has just come back from maternity leave. 
Simon Harris had been minding the brief, but had had a lot of profile and was perceived to have had a lot of success in the brief um, during his tenure as interim justice minister. And now she's back on the beat and she's faced with a few very challenging issues. And it'll be a a really interesting watch to see Mm -hmm. how she navigates those, because it's the first time really that she's gotten herself into a sticky situation. And the answer, of course, is more Garthi on the beat. That's what politicians across the board in government and across opposition are calling for. Question is, where are they going to get them? Because that's the issue, getting Garthi. That's right. So I think it's partly down to the success of a full economy, whereby um, the economy is going at full lick. Unemployment below 4%, historical low, and it's difficult to get people to do certain certain work. And I think with Gardaí as well, I mean, um, let's face it, they're not enormously well paid. Been a lot of concerns about that. So if you're of a certain age where, you know, you possibly would be interested in joining the guards, is that something that is on your radar if you're looking at buying a home, starting a family, all those kind of things? Anyway, Thishuk was asked about this um, this week at the post-Cabinet briefing, and he did say that they have a target of recruiting um, 1,000 Gardaí this year. Uh, he admitted it will be hard to meet, and he did was asked as well about this question of, at the moment, um, you can't join the Guards if you're over 35. He indicated that may be something that the government um, would look at. He also said that there seemed to be some difficulties in terms of people applying for the guards through the public service system and that uh, people had faced long delays. He said that's something that he Mm -hmm. would speak to Minister McEntee about too. There was that whole issue, wasn't there, last year, Tommy, with the bleep test that um, wasn't there about recruits failing the Garda fitness test? And we had a number of politicians. That's right. And we had a number of politicians putting themselves through the guard that was... um, Jim O'Callaghan was one of them, wasn't that right? Yes. Uh, so again, missed that... a trick not getting Tommy to go through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the best TikTok ever. We should all do it together. <laughs> um, housing again, that's bubbling along. Uh, we had that interest rate increase from the ECB today. We have tonight's prime time expose on sex for rent. It again, it's showing the constant pressure. Uh, on this issue and and the impact it's having on people's lives across the board, young people in particular. A further uh, increase uh, in in mortgage rates uh, would potentially heap further pressure on on tracker mortgage holders uh, and potentially down further the line mortgage holders overall if banks pass on those interest rate rate hikes. And then you're right, prime time will have that piece on on the uh, rental sector. Uh, And really the ability of landlords to take advantage of, of a really struggling rental population. Um, although I think the, the government uh, would point to what they would see as good results this week. Uh, yesterday, they published uh, commencement figures for housing, uh, which are up on, on this time last year. So perhaps further progress on that front was still way behind what overall needs to be done. All right. So again, we'll be hearing a lot more about that. I, in I the think autumn. just on the interest rates, it's interesting, like the indications are beginning to come that perhaps the central banks are getting to the top of the cycle in terms of raising interest rates. They more or less have to move in lockstep because money will flow to whatever currency has the best return. So they will. the main central banks uh, in terms of um, Frankfurt, 
uh, and also in states and the UK. They'll keep an eye on what one another is doing and see what's happening, particularly with inflation. But there are indications they're beginning to get on top of it. The question now is how many more interest rate increases will there be? And do is there a risk that they've gone too far? The idea of interest rate increases is to slow down consumption, slow things down a bit in an economy without choking off any prospect of growth. And if you go too far, that's what yeah. can happen. So um, it's not just the budget we'll be talking about the, in the autumn. The autumn kind of is really the opening of what's going to be a season, a long season. Uh, of voting and campaigning and various elections and, and on uh, various issues. Um, we'll start, of course, and we've already chatted about this. It'll start with the report from the Constituency Boundary Commission. Um, and again, just, you know, people will be looking at that, won't they, in terms of who might run, where they might run, and also who might think it's time to go. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have a huge impact on that. Um, Names to watch? Well, go for Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and the two big elections that are coming up uh, in the coming months will be the, the local and the European. But in terms of who runs in, in the European election, they're still waiting on the results of those boundary uh, reviews to decide who will go. Because if there's extra seats in all constituencies, people might decide to go for those if they think they have a better chance. Uh, although if they look at the review and think, actually, no, the chances I thought I had are, are now worse, they might consider it a tilt at, at Europe. Um, it's after the, the commission reports back that they will hold their selection conventions uh, for the European elections. So there, there's a lot weighing on this result, actually. Yeah, geography decides political fates, all right. And uh, we will, we're, we're also looking, Sinead, aren't we, at a referendum in November. Is that right? Certainly, the government is committed to holding a referendum in November. Uh, this will be around Article 41 of the Constitution, which is the provision which has some language in it which many people would find problematic um, around stating that a woman's place is in the home, that she has duties and care in the home. Now, we're not really clear on what exactly we're voting on in this. It has been recommended by uh, the Citizens' Assembly and by an Oireachtas committee that we would have three separate votes because there's a few parts to this provision so that we might look at the, the idea of a woman's place in the home, removing that from the constitution, um, possibly replacing it with something that would reflect that there is a, a lot of caring duties performed in the home by women and by men, and, you know, placing the importance of caring duties in the home in the constitution. And then the third part would be around the family. So the family is defined in the constitution as a family based on marriage. And that obviously would not reflect uh, what a family looks like now and it excludes a number of families. So for some people that's very problematic um, and what the government will do around this one is is really tricky because are you going to try to define the family um, and how are you going to define the family? Good luck with and that. <laughs> that's not going to be easy. So yeah. We know that the government intends to proceed with the referendum. We don't have a date for it as yet. There is some work being done in Roderick O'Gorman's department because he will be the sponsoring department for this uh, referendum. There is work being done, but we were hoping to have a report po possibly by the end of May, an interdepartmental report, mm -hmm. um, or certainly by the end of June. We haven't seen sight of that. So there yeah. is a bit of concern that maybe they're grappling with the wording and it's not going as easy as as they would have liked. Because one of the things that's getting wrapped up in this is that some people are looking at this and going, well, 
are they potentially removing gender from the Constitution? Now, if that's a route that that we go down, that if that's where the battle lines are drawn on this referendum, I think the government would be in a, you know, there are landmines there. It would be a very difficult sell. And and that's where it could get wrapped up and it could get tricky. Because the difficulty, as we have learned, going back to 1983, the difficulty with referendums and indeed the difficulty with putting clauses into the Constitution is you can end up in exactly the opposite place to where you intend it to be. And once you start trying to define these things, it can become very tricky. And you've also got to have the translated because Irish comes first. So, and again, you know, there has to be the same legal equivalence between the two. So, I mean... This this would be um, what would the word for it be, David? Brave. Only, only fools rush in for angels yeah. fear to tread. Yeah, but I, equally, there has been the commitment and to do this, and there has been the citizens' assembly, and there is pressure from opposition. Well, the bottom line is that the constitution, which is an enormously important document in terms of the way the country is run, um, does have language which is completely outdated and, to some extent, offensive. And it is time that it is updated and it will have to be done one way or another. The question is, how do you do it? How far do you go? What do you remove and what do you put in? Um, But it would be unfortunate to see a government shy away from this. So they've come close to this in the past. There was a proposal that there would be a referendum on this. It didn't go ahead. So I think... It's going to have to be done sooner rather than later. And you certainly get the impression that there are factions, they may be minority factions, who would be only too keen to get into a debate on gender, given some of the uh, street action that we have seen uh, in recent times. You don't want this to turn into a culture war, and perhaps that's the risk. We see it in the UK. The opposition leader, Keir Starmer, are coming under pressure to to define gender and what is a man and what is a woman. Uh, I don't think they want this referendum to turn into that, but there is always that potential. And yeah, we we see those minority groups that can be quite vocal and quite powerful on social media. The other thing I think we're going to see a lot of um, next year in the local and European elections, Tommy, is this whole climate debate, this whole climate crisis debate. And what we've seen, we've seen it in Spain with Vox, although they didn't do as well as expected in, mm-hmm. in the recent election. We've seen it with the Farmers' Party in the Netherlands. We're seeing it definitely in the UK. Um, we're seeing it as well in the debate over the nature restoration law, which just about survived mm-hmm. uh, in the European Parliament and certainly the EPP and Manfred Weber giving every impression they're going to go hard on this. And it, it's becoming a right-left or a right-centre divide. And it's really interesting against the backdrop, isn't it, of Europe burning? It, that played out during that nature restoration law vote. I mean, people would speculate those critical of the European People's Party, the largest group in the parliament, would say that uh, they came out against the nature restor- restoration law because they were trying to, to nod uh, to those that are anti-green, that feel that the the green agenda is impacting their lives in an unfair way. Uh, And Manfred Weber, uh, who was the leader of that EPP group, uh, he he 
came out against the the nature restoration law as well to try and and damage uh, a political rival of his, which is Ursula von der Leyen and her Green Deal, uh, because he was once touted as the possible Commission president. That Spanish election result is significant. If if the far right uh, party had done better than uh, they did do, um, they could have uh, landed themselves in a powerful position in government and Spain holds the presidency of the EU, uh, which means that they would have a major influence uh, on legislation at European level and therefore a major influence on the European Green Deal. And the other question about the locals and the Europeans, David, is that going to be the only two elections we see next year? Or is that teeing us up for what, you know, many politicians are openly speculating now about an autumn election, aren't they? So... I, I think the thinking is that the the most likely there are two kind of likely scenarios, shall we say, in terms of the timing of the next general election. Um, many people would feel that uh, after the budget after next, so budget the budget in the year twenty twenty four October twenty twenty four, that if the government was to do a what it would see as a good budget then, and deliver on some commitments they've been talking about. If it's a case that the housing situation is showing the first green shoots in terms of an improvement, that maybe then would be a good time to go and have a relatively short, sharp campaign. We've seen October over recent years has been slightly milder than it Mm -hmm. was in the past. Maybe that's down to one of the topics we were talking about earlier uh, in terms of climate change. But one way or another, it has generally been slightly milder than it was. Uh, maybe in in previous decades, and maybe they could do uh, a a, a general election then. The other school of thought is something that Leo Varadkar has hinted at a few times in terms of running to a full term. So full term would mean March 2025. Some of the ministers in Leinster House you talk to, they say, well, okay, yeah, that is possible. However, the only danger with that is that you're right up against the wall. And if the government runs into a controversy, then the whole general election campaign becomes that controversy and you can't delay it any further and you can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. So it is a strategy, but it's got huge risks. And of course, we remember Enda Kenny getting criticised for making the wrong call on election timings. And it's one of the critical things for a leader because equally it's hard to risk it all isn't it to throw it all up once you air. announce the timing of the election the clock is running down and the countdown is yeah. on and everything becomes about the election so it's very difficult so if Leo Varadkar was to say now we intend having an election this time next year even though it's 12 months away everything becomes about the election and it's actually very difficult for the government to get anything done so he has to say yes March 2025 we will go to the end of term uh, final point, uh, Sinead, your your namesake, um, Sinead O'Connor. Um, at her passing, uh, we got the news yesterday evening. And do you know what's been really nice in the past 24 hours is the way that a woman who was dismissed by so many and criticised by so many uh, during her life for the position she took on various issues. And she was an activist on various issues. Mm-hmm. Um that so many people are now saying she was actually kind of right all along. She was right. She called it. She nailed it. I think that, you know, she was one of the first politicians, she wasn't a politician, she was one of the first musicians that I can think of that got involved in political causes 
and that raised awareness on issues before they were cool, before they were woke, before it was a thing to do. And she actually saw them through to the nth degree. You know, she was one of the first women to speak about abortion, about the lack of abortion care available in Ireland. And also actually just on that, because it's worth remembering at the start of her career, um, she insisted on having her baby. Yes. At the very start of her career, when there was an awful lot of pressure on, you know, female pop stars to, you know, not to be letting their domestic and personal lives get in the way of, you know, your early albums and your appearances and all the rest. So she had positions, but she also cut her own furrow. She cut her own furrow. And I think she came to prominence at a time when, you know, it was the sort of Stock Aiken and Waterman period of music when image was absolutely everything. And here was this stunning looking woman, but, you know, just chose to wear a a baggy T-shirt and a pair of jeans and sing her songs and let her her voice do the talking. And I think she was really, for that reason, she was iconic then and and still today. And I think the causes that she chose still ring true. The things that she said about the church, you know, about women's place in society have all rung true and all those arguments hold water. But I also think that she, like she spoke to people in a, a way and... In a, I heard this morning on Oliver Callan's programme, somebody rang in from a school for travellers um, in Clonshock that I think doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, their bus broke down and was kaput and they wrote to loads of celebrities and they were like, can you please send us some money or help yeah. us out to fundraise for a new bus? And she had a grand piano in her house and she sold the grand piano and wrote the cheque. And sent it to the school. No fanfare, no fuss, never looked for any publicity, never did an appearance, none of that. The the cheque apparently paid for the bus and more. So just very quietly, here was a cause, you know, young traveller kids in a school that she supported. And it was just her way because she she believed in them. Hope she's at peace now. All right, that's it uh, from us for the summer. We'll be back in the autumn and we'll uh, be bringing you your weekly dose of political chat and discussion and analysis and all the rest uh, from Leinster House. Until then, uh, Berigi Bua, we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. (laughs) 